Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times and the Pointer Institute. On this podcast, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses your stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm a former enterprise editor at the Times. Today's topic, turning PR people into storytellers. One of our listeners, Ben Riggs, works as a senior communications specialist for Kettering Health. He is building a team of storytellers because he's sure that's the most effective way to spread his company's message. So he asked us for some time to ask questions about how we do what we do, and we recorded the conversation. Here it is, with the hope that it'll be helpful to those trying to do the same thing at companies across the country. Personally, we'd love to see more public relations people think like storytellers, which could allow them to share better story ideas with journalists. Yeah, so I'm still kind of trying to pinch myself that this meeting is happening uh, with the (laughs) the four of us um, coming on board with with Kettering Health. One of the things that tickled my ears in joining the team was this primacy on storytelling, more formally kind of human interest stories. We're in, we're in healthcare, so there's obviously stories galore. So our team exists by and large to help try to capture those and tell them in compelling ways. And so um, we have some great writers on our team. One has primarily a small town uh, front load all the information journalism background. Um, and then the other one's pretty fresh out of college. She's, she's just as talented um, she's got more of an eye for creative writing. So Lane, for you, what was it like to start to make that transition from, uh, you know, inverted pyramid type writing to the type of writing that I feel like you're, you know, really known for now? You know, after covering news for seven years and just chasing police sirens and fishing boats, I was like, I, I would love to tell stories. You know, I never really tried fiction but I love the storytelling. And so Maria saved me from this life in the bureau and, and shagging news stories. And we, we kind of learned together as a team, which was cool because there was four of us plus Maria and we were all sort of learning what to do at the same time. So I think one of the things that really helped we, we would share stories. You know, if we'd see somebody else's narrative or some nonfiction novel that we liked, we would share it with each other. And we had weekly meetings where one of us would read a draft of their story they were working on and we all kind of like, jumped in and team edited and I cried and people yelled and but it was really like it, it forged us as a team and, and made everybody better and you know we got to benefit from each other's beautiful brains and um it was just really gratifying I remember one of the our, our little uh team was on the different floor from the newsroom and I remember one day walking up to the newsroom to do something I don't know go to the bathroom or something and one of the reporters stopped me and said, oh my God, I really like the way you wrote that story. And I'd never any, had anybody anybody ever say that they you know, like paid attention to the writing. And that was the point when I was like, oh, this, this is something different. You know, it wasn't like, good job, 
covering the school board lane, you know, and, and that, that meant a lot. I have two questions that popped up um, that I want to circle back to really quick, if that's okay. Um, you know, a question I've, I've asked our writers, um, especially after I kind of went spelunking through a lot of their previous writings before I got there. One question I wanted to ask them and started to ask them was, you know, how to keep their writing and their storytelling fresh. Uh, as, as you can imagine, and as I'm sure you know, every writer's encountered, they kind of fall into what works for them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can lead to some atrophy in choosing one story structure. And, you know, in our industry, a lot of stories come out to here's so-and-so, so-and-so got sick, uh, so-and-so went to Kettering Health, received X service, now they're better, yay health. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, that's um, all well and good. And obviously that's a bit of a caricature. Of course, our writers do more complex writing than that, but but on the whole, it kind of had that that framework, that trajectory. And so the question I was going to ask is, you know, what are some ways you encourage writers, maybe that original narrative team, to keep their writing fresh, uh, but and it sounds like framework is a big part of that. Yeah, and and you know I think vetting the idea a little more, Ben, than because somebody <laughs> will come at you with an idea that that it may sound it may sound good on on the face of it, but then just spending a little time talking it through and like like you just described this sort of typical arc that you guys may have on a story. Um, well, you know maybe you want to maybe you want to find. What was the pivotal moment in that arc? And that you want the story just to be about the pivotal moment, you know, mm-hmm. or you want to be, it's a story where um, the aftermath is more important than what happened before, or maybe the before is the important and the aftermath doesn't matter. You know, can you play around with um, what you're doing on that story and compress the time frame some more? Um, so I think they're just things that as you get to talking to your writers about it, um, I mean, if you feel like they're falling into predictable habits and the kind of predictable story, well, what's the what's the story there that would interest you? Mm-hmm. you, know, you flip it on its head, and would it be more interesting? We make it like a like a a sun, you know, but put your subject in the middle, and then all the little rays that come out of it. So you know, if people are getting like, who else has something at stake here? If people are getting stuck writing about patients, maybe you write about the patient's family. You know, if people are stuck reading doctor physician profiles, maybe you read about the lady who cleans the COVID unit in full mm-hmm. hazmat suit, you know, or the lady in the gift shop who's getting flowers and knows all these people's happy highs and lows that are coming in, you know, or I did a really fun story in the hospital about the lady who manned this little chest of beads, because every time one of these little kids got, who was, had a long-term disease, got a procedure done, they got a blue bead for a stick draw, they got a green bead for a picky, they got an orange bead, you know, if they were able oh. to to get up and do PT. And I wrote this story about this woman who'd watch these kids get better and then get sick by the beads that she passed out to them, you know? So I think in the hospital and, and healthcare system, there's so many people who do so many of these little jobs that are these unsung, unseen heroes that, you know, you can poke around at the wonderful doctors all you like and the, and the patients with the miracle cures, but the people around and behind those people make really great uh, unexpected or surprising stories too. Yeah, that's great. Thank you guys so much. Um, so how many formal kind of touch points like that do you have with your writers where you're meeting with them and having conversations? Is it 
mostly before the drafting process? Is it before and after? You know, for me, it's all the way through the process. So, you know, if they, we start talking over an idea, talk about, you know, um, you know, what we think we're going to get out of it. And then I really encourage people to kind of keep me abreast as they're reporting. You know, if Lane was doing a, a story in a day and she was off reporting it, then she'd come back We'd talk it over, you know, what are the moments that are most interesting to her? What were the scenes that she captured? Um, you know, we talk about the themes. What, 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 what are we really trying to, uh, what is the story trying to tell people? Um, and, you know, I just, I'm paying attention to her enthusiasm and what, where she's excited about the story, where, where the big moments are in the story. And then I'm helping her sort of think through how we could organize it. And um, nearly always, not always, but nearly always, we'll end up with an outline. I'll be taking, I'll take notes on what she says, Ben. That just helps me. But then, and then we'll draft an outline and I'll, I'll send it to the writer and let them have a look at it. And mostly they'll try to follow the path. And then by the time I'm editing it, I have, you know, I know what to expect. It's just a matter of how they're going to execute it, but I know where it's going to go, right? I'm not, it's not catching me off guard. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the process. My favorite part is after I'm done recording and before I start writing. When, mm. you know, even, even like I did a story on the Super Bowl streaker, you know, and I would interview this guy in the afternoon and they wanted to pop it the next day because who's going to care after Tuesday, <laughs> you know? And so I had, I called her on the way, on the drive back from Tampa. We had like a half hour in the car. We talked that whole story through on my drive back from recording. By the time I got back to my house, she'd sent me the outline and I wrote it that night. You know, mm. it helps so much knowing where I'm going to start, knowing kind of sort of where I'm going to end, knowing where the climax is going to be, knowing what the through question, you know, where cliffhanger is going to be, like what's at stake, what's going to happen. And, and knowing all that before I sit down to write is absolutely invaluable. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. And then, yeah, I, I make a habit of, of reading the story out loud. And I read instead of having them read because they know where they mean the inflections in their story. Like they, if they were reading it, they would, they would read it like they meant it. And I want to read it like I see it, like a cold reader, right? And I think it helps us both. I think we hear things that we wouldn't, See, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And Ben, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a process too that that's not about the actual individual stories, I think, but it's about building that relationship with each of your writers. I mean, I, you just described that your two and how different they are. You know, I, invariably, people have different strengths and they have, they have different insecurities. <laughs> they have different <laughs> things. They're, they're, they're all insecure to some degree, but that, that you know, they, they feel confident about some things and not as confident about others. And so I think part of the fun for me is to help them sort of challenge themselves and, and get confident to, to try some things that they might not otherwise do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, but getting to know them a little bit so that you kind of understand 
what they aspire to do. Um, that's the other thing is like, I don't know about when I was coming up in management, people told me I had to treat every one of my um, underlings the same way. I was like, that's insane because they, they want different things from you and they need different things from you. So you, you know, um, anyway, just that point about that. No, that's, uh, thank you both for commenting. Um, this is for both of you. Um, you know, what, what facets of narrative nonfiction would you lean into uh, with a young writer who has this kind of tried and true inverted pyramid? If you had to pick the first two that you might lean into, what might they be? I went to a J school. They, they taught us, you know, go get documents. Um, go interview people, you know, write down what they said, put that all in a story, right? So they didn't teach us about going out there and shadowing someone and, and picking up uh, details and, you know, what it smells like out here, what it tastes like out there, all that kind of stuff. So I think as people, that's one of the hardest transitions I think to make, because in some ways you have to do all of the other reporting that you would normally do, and then you have to do this other layer of reporting because you do the first part of a reporting so you can zero in on maybe the right character or the right angle. And then you go in and lean into all this other stuff that, um, I mean, like I said, I, it's, it's, it's some of the stuff, stuff that people have the hardest time picking up because, you know, how do you write about characters? Because you, it's not just what they say, right? It's their actions. It's, it's um. It's, you know, do they use their hands when they talk? Do they talk mm. fast? Do they talk slow? You know, how much detail do you have about that person? Um, what are you going to capture in this scene? Um, you know, Lane is probably the most talented observational reporter on the planet. I mean, really, you, you know, mm -hmm. but, but I know that didn't come easy. I know that's come after like years of like she realized what she didn't have to write down and what she was trying to look for and just trying to pick up you know, the, the, the nuances and things. So I, I think focus, I mean, it's, it's, it's lovely prose is great, but you, if you're doing nonfiction, what the, it's the reporting that's going to drive these stories. It's really going to be whether you have the right material. So I think other people are more hesitant to want to sit somebody down and ask not only what, what's happening or what was going on, but what, what was in your head, what was in your heart? What were you thinking and feeling when this went on? And people not everyone's comfortable diving into people's internal dialogue or, or their emotional side. And so I think that's helped me um, make more, uh, make stories people care about more because I am able to tap into people. I'm not afraid to ask them, what were you worrying about? What were you praying about? What were you terrified of? What pissed you off? You know, and, mm -hmm. and sort of getting those emotional pieces of it, not just what happened, but how that impacted you. But then, you know, one of the things um, we always encourage people to do, too, is to to report, uh, to interview on a day separate from the day that you're watching something unfold, if you can, if you have time. So in other words, um, this the story that Lane's working on right now, she spent 12 hours in an ICU um, in the middle of this COVID craziness. But before she did that, she interviewed the nursing supervisor. Um, you know, got to know her, figured out who she was, got some background. And then when she spent the 12 hours in the ICU, she's a fly on the wall. She's watching it all unfold. And then after that, she's asking questions about some of the things she saw. But in other words, she's not interrupting, which, mm -hmm. which gives the reporter a lot of uh, ability to just 
you know, be looking for the kinds of things that when you're asking questions, you're not looking for, right? You're trying to take it all in. Um, so that's, that's a very good way to try to help them with their narrative skills. Yeah, that's good. Wow. I, thank you guys so much for that. That was, uh, but I want to make sure I don't miss out on being able to ask Elaine about the bruise on the apple. My other editor who I adore, Mike Wilson, um, who now is at the New York Times, he came up with this. Well, I don't know if he came up with it, but he was the one who introduced me to this phrase. And it basically meant the bruise on the apple basically means like if you have an apple that looks too perfect and sounds and feels too good to be true, people are going to doubt you. They're not going to believe that it's real. It could be ceramic or it could be wooden or something. But if it looks like a too perfect apple, you have to find the bruise on the apple so that people will know that it's real. And it can be a small bruise. It can be a little wormhole. It doesn't have to ruin the apple, but it's gotta be something like if, if the person, and I do this the other way around too. I guess I wanna find the apple in the bruise too sometimes, mm -hmm. but like if, if a person is too good to be true, what's a foible? What's, what's a thing that's not perfect about them? Um, a, a good way, to do that, you know, if people around that person aren't giving you things like that were questionable or, or sad or wrong or maybe not perfect, you can ask the person themselves, like, what do you regret? You know, is there anything you regret? And often that gets the person themselves to show you this bruise, you know. But I also believe in the flip side, if somebody seems too rotten, dirty, rotten, scoundrel, this horrible person to believe, you got to find the humanity in them. You know, I, I wrote about this dad who dropped his five-year-old daughter off of a bridge to her death. And I mean, he's the biggest monster I've ever written about, but I found out that he liked to paint her toenails, those little kindergartner's toenails and buy her blue Slurpees and kiss her blue lips. And, you know, so it, it's, it's both, I think. It's, but the bruise on the apple is basically like, find something that makes this person human. You know, I, I was thinking about my COVID nurse, Maria, that I spent Wednesday with, and she was so strong and you know, seemed like she had all of her stuff together. And I asked her, you know, what happens when you go home? Do you talk about this with your husband, your kids, whatever? And then she's like, oh yeah. And my husband goes, oh sure. You were nice to everybody all day long. So now you get to be mean to me. And I was like, oh, that's a little bruise right there. You know, she holds it together for the patients, but then she comes home and like lets it out on her husband. And so even if it's just something small like that, you know, your healthcare workers are heroes, obviously all of them that you guys are profiling and writing about, but what do they take home with them? You know, how does it mm -hmm. hurt them? What bruises them about this experience where they have to put this face on all day long? You know, one woman was super worried about her one-year-old and coming home from working in the COVID ward all day to a one-year-old and exposing him. So, you know, allowing people to talk about their weaknesses or their worries or their regrets really helps round them out from being this like almost a character, what can become a caricature of a person. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I love that. I, um, and that, just frankly kind of helps encourage me to broach the conversation about character. I think with one of our writers, who's again, kind of really getting her head around this. And I thought of one of the things really quick that yeah. we talked a lot about characters, but the character doesn't have to be a person, right? The character mm. can be the wing, the character can be the laundry room, the character can be the lab or like, there was this really cool new device in the COVID world that I would like love to write like a profile of this device. It's like a, a CPR machine that you strap on someone's chest and it does the chest compressions for you. And they just got it in the COVID wing. It's brand new. So like a new technology could be the character, you know, but if you think about it as a character instead of a news story, like, oh, you just got this machine. Those can be kind of fun little alt storytelling mm. opportunities, you know. Wonderful. Well, uh, Lane and Maria, thank you both so very much.
for carving out some time at the end of your week to talk through this. I'm very excited to take this back to the team and, um, you know, we'll certainly keep you guys in the loop every once in a while, let you know how, how things are going, but thank you again. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can find other episodes on pointer.org forward slash right lane. And please join our Facebook group. This podcast was produced by Jesse Lauk. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.